0: What about the six things of Daniel 9, 24? I'm gonna go kind of fast because I do not like us coming to the Lord's Supper rushed or feeling that we're under a time burden. So let's get these six things going and I hope that I'll make them plain enough that you'll understand them and how they were fulfilled in that 70 weeks prophecy. We have finished analyzing the timeline provided by the four verses of Daniel 9, 24 through 27. Now we want to go back to verse 24 and analyze the six things. We did our analyzing of the whole prophecy. And while I'm on that subject that way, I want to mention, and, you know, we don't sell books. We give books away. They cost us. We never, we, we give them away. And there are two books back there in the library, and they're four times like this for the Seventy Weeks Prophecy and then the Great Tribulation Prophecy of Jesus in Matthew 24, Philip Morrow, the lawyer, the friend of Thomas Edison, the one that prosecuted cases before the United States Supreme Court, wrote this book, Seventy Weeks in the Great Tribulation. Take one. It's free and it's back there on the bookshelf. The other one is called Great Prophecies of the Bible, and it covers the 70 weeks, Matthew 24, the second coming of Jesus Christ and the Antichrist by Ralph Woodrow, it's blue like this, it's back there as well. They're free for the taking, and any of you young men that don't have both, you should have them, but you should only have them if you're gonna read them. A book is not to take up space on a shelf, it's for you to read and learn and to have a source document that can help you. Philip Morrow's work on Daniel 10 through 12, the king of the north against the king of the south, is unprecedented. Amen. There is no peer. It's phenomenal. To understand the last three chapters of Daniel. I wasn't, I'm not a bookseller. We give them away. God determined 70 weeks... Remember, he said it was determined to accomplish the six things. Do you love math? A 70-year prophecy ended, a prophecy of 70 weeks of years began with the same event. Jews, you can go home, ending a 70-year prophecy, beginning a 70-weeks of years prophecy. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? If you love the Lord Jesus Christ of the Bible, I want to exalt him with you now. Daniel 9, 24, the first of the six things to finish the transgression. What transgression came to a conclusion in 490 years? What did Jerusalem's Jews do that came to a climax? Because remember, it's thy people and thy city. What, What did the Jews do that came to a climax? What continuing sin, was completed within 480 years because it's to finish the transgression. It's not to commit the transgression, it's to finish it. So there's some transgression ongoing that is gonna be completed or finished or filled up in the 480 years. Finish the transgression, here is what it means. My job is to read in the book and the law of God distinctly, give you the sense and cause you to understand the reading. Israel finished her sin against God by killing his son that's what this means Jesus foretold it by parables I am NOT going to take the time but that's the parable of the householder and his vineyard and how Jesus asked the Jews what will the owner of that vineyard do to those men and they said he will miserably destroy them and give their vineyard to someone else and that is exactly what Jesus did he said, if you fall on me, you'll be broken in repentance. If I fall on you, I will grind you to powder. That's all in Matthew 21. Matthew 22 is that those that refused what Jesus Christ offered them on earth, he burned up their city. This gen- that generation, the generation of Jesus Christ was guilty of all blood shed in the world. We'll come to the verses in a moment. Paul said, they filled up their sins all the the Jews, speaking specifically of the Jews. The most monstrous crime in the universe was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Right. Nothing else even comes close. Right. Right. There was no further remedy for the Jews, which is an expression, no further remedy of 2 Chronicles 36, when they were taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar the first time. Here are some verses to back up this explanation for finish the transgression. It's not make propitiation for the transgressions. It's not reconcile the transgressors. It's finish the transgression and it has to do with Jews and Jerusalem in 490 years. Genesis fifteen sixteen God told Abraham in the fourth generation, they'll come out of Egypt. I gotta leave them down there for 215 years for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. I cannot annihilate the Amorite nation until they've sinned a little bit more. That is what it is saying. It got so bad in the land of Canaan with its seven nations that God said, if you don't go in and annihilate them, the land itself will vomit them out because of their sexual perversions. And so here is a statement along the lines of, finish the transgressions. Their iniquity is not yet full. I'm going to let them sin some more till they reach the point of no return when I will annihilate the nation. Second Chronicles 36:16. they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, misused his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, till there was no remedy. You can sin to a point where there is no remedy. The Bible says in Proverbs 29:1, He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed. That's right. And that without remedy. Right. Mm-hmm. Jesus rebuked the church at Thyatira <laughs> for having a prophetess among them named Jezebel. And he said, he gave, I gave that church a space of time to repent. But since they haven't, I'll cast them all into a bed and kill them. And all the churches will know that I am who I say I am. Just to remind you that there's a side of God that is not preached in most places, but the Bible teaches it from the beginning to the end. I've already quoted Genesis and Revelation. Daniel 9, 7. Now I wanna bring you back to the context about those words, finish the transgression. How did Daniel pray? O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces, as at this day to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and unto all Israel that are near and that are far off through all the countries whither thou hast driven them because of their trespass, that they have trespassed against thee. So Daniel is already set the stage by telling us the Jews had been dispersed and taken captive into Babylon because of their trespass trespassing against God he continues in his prayer "Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law even by departing that they might not obey thy voice therefore the curse is poured upon us and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. And amen. Daniel understood why they were captive in Babylon and why others of the 10 tribes had been dispersed throughout the nations. Remember the parable of the householder. The owner of the vineyard sent servants. He sent a servant. He was abused and mistreated and there were no fruits of the vineyard. He sent another servant, being prophets. He sent another prophet, abused and mistreated by the nation of Israel. He sent another one. And then, and then according to the parable, the, the owner said, Listen, I'll send my son. Surely they'll reverence my son. And when they saw the son, they said, This is the heir. Let's kill him and take possession. Then Jesus said, What will the owner of that vineyard do? He will miserably destroy those wicked men, and give their vineyard to someone else. That's us Gentiles. We got the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 21. And so Israel had transgressed, but the worst transgression was yet to come, the crucifixion of the Son of God. Matthew 3, 7, as soon as John the Baptist, as soon as he saw, you know where we are? (laughs) We just start the New Testament, and John the Baptist sees many of the Pharisees and Sadducees of the Jews come to his baptism. He said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? That isn't to flee from hell. That is to flee from what was coming that Malachi had foretold in the last two verses of the Old Testament. This This is to flee the destruction of Jerusalem. Remember some of these things with me when we're at a place like this. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, preached a wonderful sermon by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's tremendous. And we have a, a decent number of words of it contained there that ends in verse 36. And then there were some men that asked, what shall we do? He said, repent and be baptized. And then this is what it says. And with many other words, with many other words, did he testify and exhort saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation you live as part of a terrible generation that the wrath of god is going to consume save yourselves from this untoward generation with many words and yet it's ignored 70 a.d is ignored and what happened to the jews in 70 a.d just 40 years later is ignored But they finished up their transgression, the wrath of God fell on them. Matthew 21, I've been there already, and I've said it to you twice. He will miserably destroy these wicked men, will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which are Gentiles. They'll render him their fruits and their seasons. And that's what we want to do every time we sing, pray, assemble together, read his word, and celebrate him. Like at his table. Matthew 22, when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, that is God. He sent forth his armies, that's the Romans, destroyed those murderers. They murdered his son and burned up their city. He burned up the city of Jerusalem. Matthew 23, that upon you, that is upon the Jews of the generation of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ said these words, they are in the red writing in your Bible, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth. From the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias, whom he slew between the temple and the altar. The last martyr of the Old Testament is Zacharias, son of Barachias. So first martyr, to last martyr, and every bit of blood in between, I'm gonna hold this generation accountable for it because you killed my son. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. Right, right. And with many other words that he testified and exhort, saying, I'm sorry I got ahead of myself, save yourselves from this untoward generation that's peter on the day of pentecost first thessalonians 2 here's how paul put it the jews if you read the context the verses 13 and 14 who both killed the lord jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us the apostles of the lord jesus christ and they please not god and are contrary to all men that's an untoward generation Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins alway, to finish the transgression, to fill up their sins alway, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Is come, not will come, is come. It is hanging over their heads, the wrath of God upon the Jews for crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. This is what the Bible teaches to show us a tsunami of evidence. For what the words mean, finish the transgression in Daniel 9.24. So Israel finished her sin against God by killing his son. Jesus foretold it. That generation was guilty of all righteous blood. Paul said they filled up their sins all way. There was no further remedy for them. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you, Lord. It doesn't say propitiation for, for transgression. It doesn't say... Reconcile transgressors. It says finish the transgression and and Daniel prayed. We have transgressed We are guilty of a transgression and you are just and you are righteous for scattering us abroad But it was nothing compared to what they did with the Lord Jesus Christ Daniel nine 24. Let's go to number two make an end of sins. Oh Really? The kind of son I was to my father the kind of teenager I was make an end of sins I like the sound of it. What does it mean? What's the sense of it? In what way did sins come to an end 490 years after Cyrus, within that period of time, within that 70th week? Since we keep sinning, how was an end put to sins? Who made an end of sins, and how did he do it? Well, it's all about Messiah the Prince. He did it, and how did he do it? He died for sin. He was made sin for us. Make an end of sins. Jesus put an end to sins by dying for sins, as Isaiah 53 teaches us. Jesus saved his people from their sins, as we'll look at. There is nothing left to lay to our charge. According to Romans 8, Jesus purged our sins and sat down, Hebrews 1.3. Jesus was cut off for others, as we saw in 9.26. Let's look at the verses. And she shall bring forth a son. An angel speaking to Joseph, she shall, Mary shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Amen. He'll make an end of sins. Who shall anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Amen. We can't be charged with anything. No one can arise in, my day, in the day of judgment and accuse me of being the rebellious son that I was, because Jesus made an end of that sin and my other sins. Because there's nothing to be laid to my charge. Because God has justified me through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. I am free. Amen. He sees me as righteous as His Son. More on that in a minute. He'll bring in everlasting righteousness. Right. Hebrews 1.3 Jesus Christ is the brightness of God's glory, the express image of His person. Jesus upholds all things by the word of His power. Jesus upholds all things by the word of His power. When He had by Himself, look at this, by when He, that's Jesus, had by Himself purged our sins. Now that's putting an end to them. When He washes them away, He purged our sins. He sat down because the work of redemption was done on the right hand of the Majesty on high. Hebrews 9, But now once in the end of the world hath He, that's Jesus Christ, appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ, who is Messiah the Prince, was once offered to bear the sins of many. Thank you, Lord. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin. When he comes, he's coming without sin. He's not going to lay anything to my charge. I'm free by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, 12, this man, that's Jesus Christ, after he, Jesus, had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. For by one offering, he hath perfected, I like that, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. That's you and me. If you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and are living a life of faith, their sins, their iniquities, will I remember no more. I love the forgetfulness of God. God's forgetfulness is that he's going to forget my sins against him because of Jesus paying for those sins and putting an end to sins. Now where remission of these is, that sins, plural, there is no more offering for sin. It's all taken care of. He's made an end of sins. got to keep going. You know what the New Testament is. This is all the gospel. Who his own self, Jesus, his own self, bear our sins in his own body on the tree. There's three trees in the history of this world that matter, and none of them are redwoods in California. There's three trees. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil that got us, that got locked down by God, putting a flaming sword to keep the way of the second tree, the tree of life. God offered us eternal life in the garden of Eden. We refused it because we chose death by the influence of the devil through our first mother. That's two trees, the tree of life, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there's a third tree, and that tree Jesus hung on it, like it says right here, in his own body on the tree. That's the third tree, and that third tree opens up the tree of life to us, because in the book of Revelation it says that tree is blooming in all of its seasons, all 12 months of the year, and we are free to eat of it again. That is the work of the second Adam. The first Adam got us locked out of the Garden of Eden. The second Adam got us back into it. Praise his glorious name. Amen. Wow, what a Savior. He brought, he's given us the tree of life again Amen. by three trees. That we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we were healed. We were healed of our sins. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us. He loved us and he washed us from our sins in his own blood. He made an end of sins. So Jesus put an end to sins by dying. He saved his people from their sins. There's nothing left to lay to our charge. He purged all sins. sat down, and he was cut off for others, as we read later in our passage. We got to keep moving. Make reconciliation for iniquity. Who needed to be reconciled due to iniquity? Reconciliation was 490 years later. So what was it? What, What happened to reconcile who to whom? Who with whom? Who made the reconciliation and how did he do it? Let's just open the New Testament, which is the Better Testament, and find out. God reconciled us to himself by Jesus, by Christ. He was incarnate, he was made incarnate for this very purpose. He made peace with God by his blood, and peace was made at the second temple. When that veil was rent from top to bottom, we could walk straight into the presence of God because we were reconciled to Almighty God. Romans 5.10, for if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, that's who we needed to be reconciled to, God was angry with us, the Bible says God is angry with the wicked every day, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, being reconciled, that's all over, because that took place at the cross, we shall be saved by his life, because he's living in heaven for us right now, he's being our intercessor right now in heaven, He's perpetually making intercession for us. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Mm -hmm. At one again. What does atonement mean? Put at one again. We are reconciled to God by the death of his son. 2 Corinthians 5.18, all things are of God. Of course they are. All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself. That's what we needed to be reconciled to. God's holy. There's nothing unholy that can ever get into heaven. It's got to be made holy, and it was made holy and reconciled to God by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. All we do is go around telling people how they got reconciled, because all the reconciliation was done by Jesus Christ. To wit, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. I can't reconcile anybody to God, and neither can you. And you can't reconcile yourself to God. Right. God was reconciled by Jesus Christ, and now you need to be reconciled in the sense that you know that there's peace between God and you by the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Ephesians 1.6, to the praise, and this is what we ought to praise, the glory of his grace, Amen. wherein by God's grace he God hath made us accepted in the beloved. It is not us accepting the beloved that's the basis of salvation. It's God accepting us in the beloved for our salvation. It's God accepting us that gets people into heaven. And God accepts us in the beloved. Jesus is the beloved. Jesus died for us. And so this is making reconciliation for iniquity. Colossians 1.20 And having made peace. Reconciliation is to bring peace between two warring parties. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. We are told so specifically in the midst of the week he would be cut off and he would make reconciliation for iniquity. To reconcile all things unto himself by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Do you know that everyone in heaven, everyone in heaven when Jesus died, still needed to have their sins forgiven. Legally. Their sins hadn't been forgiven legally yet. You say, how in the world they get into heaven then? I'm talking legally. How'd they get into heaven then? You want to know? It's Romans chapter 3, and it's called the forbearance of God. The way they got into heaven was through the forbearance of God until the sacrifice was paid 4,000 years after creation on the cross of Calvary. That's why it says whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. It's not referring to angels. And you, oh, this is me. Is this you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works? Anyone else fit there? I may be the only one here today, but I fit verse 21 very well. Yet now hath he reconciled Amen. in the body of his flesh through death to present you, remember, it's a holy God. I like these words. Do you, will you forgive me for liking those words? I'm holy, I'm unblameable, and I'm unreprovable. Nothing can be laid to my charge because of what Jesus Christ did for me in making reconciliation for iniquity. There's one God, one mediator between God and men. It's Messiah the Prince. Amen. Daniel 9, 24 through 27 is about Messiah the Prince. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. This is the incarnation. The word of God had to become flesh. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14, and the word was made flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. The incarnation is an incredible thing. That's why in 1 Timothy 3.16, the great mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh. Right here. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like us, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Oh, Yes. To make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Amen. Is Daniel Daniel 9 kind of dense? (laughs) Reconciliation for iniquity, we went through those. I hope that. Do you mind? Bring in everlasting righteousness. Who needed righteousness and for all time to come? (laughs) We did. How was this perpetual righteousness brought in? By the death of his son. How can something so precious be for all eternity? On my very best day, when I love the Lord the most and am most zealous for His cause, the next day, I'm not going to be the same. I I, I can't produce everlasting righteousness. I need everlasting righteousness. Someone else is going to bring it in. They brought it in 2,000 years ago bring in everlasting righteousness. Jesus Christ justified us. When we talk about a person being made righteous, that is the doctrine of justification. Jesus Christ justified as He is elect by His crucifixion on the cross and resurrection from the dead. God gave His righteousness to His elect. God is just and a justifier through Jesus. Jesus the second Adam made us righteous. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Let's look at the verses. Job knew that this was a problem. How can a man be just with God? I know it is so of a truth, but how should a man be just with God? How will we ever be justified in the sight of a holy God? If a man were to contend with God, he cannot answer him, that is God, one of a thousand. If God was to ask us a thousand questions in a tribunal before his throne, we would not be able to answer a single question. We would be judged. How can a man be just before God? How then can a man be justified with God, or how can a man be clean that is born of? How can he be clean that is born of a woman? To make sure I read in the book and the law of God distinctly, let's do that verse again. How then can man be justified with God, or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? Job knew it; he had a dilemma. Who can make peace with God for me? Isaiah 64:6. We are all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We all do fade as a leaf. Oh, is that you or me? Just me. Do you fade in your zeal from time to time? And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. So we need somebody else to bring in everlasting righteousness because we can't do it. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past... Ah, this is the verse that I referred to you to a minute ago. Notice, through the forbearance of God for the remission of sins that are past, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. He is a just God, and he's able to justify us. Right. Romans 5.18. Oh, do I love this one. I'm going to just black it out for a minute. The first Adam got us in serious trouble. I'm gonna ask a simple question. It's so simple and it's gonna irritate you. I've asked it before, but I'm gonna ask it again. Why do babies die? Why do babies die? You know, the world outside this church says that there's an age of accountability. If there's an age of accountability, why do babies die? Why do babies die? Because they're sinners. How are they sinners? They're sinners in Adam. Babies die because they're sinners in Adam. Adam sinned, and we all sinned in him legally, right, right. and brought on us death—a threefold death. Tra- tremendous doctrine. You know, some call it original sin. Some call it federal headship. I call it the doctrine of representation. It doesn't—I call it the second Adam and the first Adam. It's the two Adams. It's a tremendous doctrine. We are guilty, each of us individually considered as guilty of eating the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and so is every baby. That is why babies die. There is no such thing as an age of accountability, and we're all accountable by Adam because God put a perfect man in the Garden of Eden, gave him one little tiny commandment to keep, and he rebelled against that one commandment. And the whole race was condemned to death in him. That's the bad side of the two Adams. Do you want to know the good side? There's another Adam and his name is Jesus Christ. The second Adam, the second Adam. Look at this. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Just stop there with me. One man, Adam in the garden of Eden brought judgment and condemnation upon all men. Even so, in the exact same way, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men into justification of life. Everlasting righteousness. For as, here we go again, the strongest comparison in the English language is, is an as, even so construction. As this way, even so it is done that very way. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, see, babies are sinners, because they ate the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in Adam. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so, oh, I love this connection, as so, by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. How are we made righteous? By the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ for us. We were made sinners. Listen, we put forth our best representative. Adam was better than any of us and all of us put together and squared. Amen. Adam was incredibly intelligent. He was not—he was not ruined like we are. We put—and the Lord put in him a covenant—and he sinned and cost us life. But the second Adam has given us life back. Right. Romans 8:33. I've already been over this verse, Who shall anything the charge of God's elect? Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, but there's something better than his death. Yea, rather, that is risen again, Amen. who is even at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. That's everlasting righteousness. He's not going to let a single one of us be lost. But of him, that is of God, are ye in Christ Jesus. Who of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, and the word that counts is right there, righteousness, that according as it is written, he that glorieth let him glory in the Lord. For he hath made him, God hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. Jesus knew no sin that we, right here, right now, might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ brought in everlasting righteousness. And so when did he bring it in? He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. And that brought in everlasting righteousness for us. We are clothed in his righteousness. Some say that justification is just as if I'd never sinned. Well, that's not very good. That just means you hadn't sinned. I don't want to be, I don't want to be left with half of justification not applied to me. Justification is just as if I'd never sinned and just as if I had lived Jesus Christ's perfect life. Right. Because just as if I'd never sinned means there's only one half of justification being done. My sins were put on Christ. But the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ's righteousness was put on me. Amen. And so I want both parts. And he brought in everlasting righteousness. I'm not able to sustain righteousness at the same level, the same peak intensity, all minutes of every day. I'm sorry to confess that to you. I know that you thought you had a perfect pastor. I speak as a fool, as Paul would say. So I love Jesus Christ bringing in everlasting righteousness. Seal up the vision and prophecy. So this is number five. Seal up the vision and prophecy. What does it mean to seal up vision and prophecy? Who would be unable to access God's revelation because it's sealed up? Why did God do this? To whom might he unseal it? I don't want God's vision and prophecy sealed up so I can't get it. Seal up vision and prophecy. God closed Jewish understanding to scripture. Seal up means to hide it. This blindness was prophesied. Jesus and Paul confirmed it. How long would it last? All the way for the Jews right on through 70 AD till they were destroyed as a nation seal up, seal up means to hide it it means to lock it up, it means to lock it down you can't get to it, you can't get at it look at these verses, Isaiah 29, 11. the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed notice I'm trying to show you from the Bible what it means to seal up something which men deliver to one that is learned saying read this I pray thee and he saith I can't read it it's sealed up Revelation 10, 4 and when the seven thunders had uttered their voices I was about to write I was about to write and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. That means to hide and restrict truth. Do not write them. Revelation twenty two ten He saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. See, when they're not sealed, they're open and available for anybody to get their hands on, and, and available for understanding, because the time is at hand, they needed them. Remember this from Isaiah chapter 6. Everybody wants to go to Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. Verses 1 through 5, they want the vision that Isaiah had of God's glory. Verses 6 through 8, they want, and the Lord said, who will go for us, and whom shall we send? And Isaiah responded, here am I, send me. Oh, they love Isaiah 6, 8. And I I love Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. And I did when I was at Bob Jones University. I remember my freshman speech was on the vision of, of God to Isaiah in Isaiah 6. But... I wish they would go past it and read the full chapter. Because Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And God said, go do this for this reason. Watch. Go, tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not. See ye indeed, but perceive not. Isaiah, make the heart of this people fat. Make their ears heavy shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, lest they hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. I do not want them to convert. So you've got to go with a ministry that's going to have minimal effect. And this prophecy is quoted five times in the New Testament because the New Testament fulfills this most perfectly. Matthew 13, 10, Jesus is speaking in parables. The people can't understand him. The disciples pull him aside. Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but it is not given to them. John 12, but though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. Therefore, they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes, hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. That's Jesus in John 12, Romans 11. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. God's given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that don't see, ears that don't hear unto this day. 1 Peter 2, 7 and 8. Jesus Christ was a terrible problem for a Jew. All the Bible stories that they heard their whole lives from Genesis through 1 Samuel about David. David is the number one character of the Old Testament. David, They wanted a Messiah like David that would deliver them from the Roman government and would free their nation again, and make it great. They did not want a savior from sin. They wanted a leader, a physical, carnal, political leader. And so here's what happens when Jesus came, the way he was, and died on a cross. The Romans totally took care of him on the cross, right? Not spiritually. Unto you therefore which believe, he, that is Jesus Christ, is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the disobedient Jews, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, God's corner, God's marvelous working through Jesus Christ. Jesus became a stone of stumbling. Jesus caused men to stumble. Jesus became a rock of offense. He offended the Jews because he wasn't what they wanted him to be. Even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient whereunto also they were appointed see they were appointed to it because it's in Daniel 9 God's going to seal up the vision and the prophecy mm-hmm. I've already been through that please I hope you understand anoint the most holy do you know what commentators and other bible versions do sometimes they add a word to the end of this sentence they add the word place They add the word place. That one of the six things God is gonna do is anoint the most holy place. Because they, remember, they're thinking a third temple. I need to send money to Israel for a third temple. And God's gonna anoint a holy place. Well, the prophecy is limited to 498. Well, they can get rid of that because they have a 353 week prophecy. Because right now we're in 2019. But you know what it says? It says, "Anoint the most holy." Is there someone that was most holy? Amen. Is Jesus called thy holy child, Jesus? Amen. In Acts chapter four. What is the most holy to be anointed in four hundred and eighty years? What is the anointing that would be done to it? Do you recall due to the anointing that I introduced you to in Isaiah ten twenty-seven? The first thing this morning. Why did God spare Judah and Jerusalem? because due to the anointing because of the anointing anoint the most holy God anointed Jesus at his baptism with the Holy Ghost it was then he began his ministry forget places think person Jesus is the Holy One of God do you need to see it it's throughout the Bible the order of events is irrelevant as shown the order of events somebody will get to that anoint the most holy and they'll think it's gotta be something different because it's last and Jesus dying on the cross is 2, 3, and 4, how can 6 be last in the list? And yet, if we believe you, preacher, it comes before 2, 3, and 4. Okay, I'm going to try you out. 1 Timothy 3.16 God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on the world, received up into glory. Which came first, preached unto the Gentiles, or received up into glory? Received up into glory. Why is it sixth? Because <laughs> God wanted it sixth. He wanted to give you 1 Timothy 3.16 so that you could understand Daniel 9.24 and not worry about the order. You say, then why did you write us a preparatory email and say, put these things in time order? That was just an exercise to make you think about all six. Why did you ask us to put it from our most favorite to our... An exercise? Look at these, ver- okay, I've already explained that one to you. Psalm 2, 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, Jesus Christ. Yep. John 1, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That's number 2. Make an end of sins. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. Oh, that's great. That's the deity of Jesus Christ to be before John. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending, and remaining on him the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw, and bare record, this is the son of god he was anointed with the holy ghost it wasn't some symbolic oil it was the real mccoy the real thing god himself descended upon the lord jesus christ of nazareth he received the oil of gladness above all his fellows john 1 41 he first findeth his own brother simon this is andrew and saith unto him we have found the Messiah. what does Messiah mean the anointed one of god which is being interpreted the christ what does christ mean the anointed one of God. Messiah equals Christ equals the anointed one of God. The woman of Samaria went into her village, the the village of Shechem. She wasn't from Samaria. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. Notice there it is again. And Christ, when he has come, he will tell us all things. Acts 2, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one. Anoint the most holy. God's holy one is Jesus Christ. That is a quote from Psalm 16, verse 10. Here's thy holy child, Jesus. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost. He'll anoint the most holy and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And so, we have anoint the most holy at his baptism. You say it's sixth. I just explained that. It shouldn't bother you. It excite you. It excites me. That something that doesn't come last in sequence is put last. Just like in 1 Timothy 3.16. So that Bible skeptics can have all the rope they need to hang themselves. Because I'm going to believe it. Look at that. Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled all six within 70 weeks. All prophecy in the gospel are about his great work. It is blasphemous heresy to turn intent to Antichrist. This is Daniel 9, 24 through 27. We're going to sing a song. We're going to come to the Lord's table. And we're going to celebrate the covenant that Jesus confirmed for that 70th week by dying in the midst of it. And I hope I've set the table for you. This cup... Is the new covenant or testament in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins? This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. This is what Messiah the Prince did for us. Right.